0: the checkout my friend Anna Hammond matriarch foods easily the best brand name in the food industry the matriarch herself so we we were just having a little pre-warm-up conversation and I was like hold up hold up you are saying some really awesome stuff so I'm not even gonna lead in we'll 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 reintroduce you and the brand later but just continue your thought Anna (laughs) we'll catch everybody (laughs) up later
1: (laughs) well I guess you know we were we were talking about processing and and, you know, what's the the challenges of processing in, in the United States. And, you know, what I was reflecting on is we talk about, you know, there are these sort of two camps, right? It feels like there is sort of the local food movement and everything has to come from, you know, within 50 miles and be fresh and, you know, sourced from small farmers, you know, all the things that we want for sure. And then there's, you know, but that are really expensive and make it very hard to create equity in the kinds of food that people eat. And, you know, other issues in there too, which we can get into. And then there's like big food and big food, you know, from the perspective of that previous group is like bad across the board. And I think I fall into a different perspective a little bit about it in that, you know, we don't want to go to back to pre-industrial food production. No, because not. Yeah. There were a lot of really hungry people yeah. and, you know, food didn't get far enough. And it meant that there, you know, the, the, the farming environment, you know, was, was, a lot of um, subsistence farming because that was the only choice. And so the ability to, you know, have roads that work and can get food to places and big transportation, whether that's, you know, whether that's by river or by rail or by road means that we have infrastructure that can support food getting to a lot of people so the real challenge is making the big food industry produce food that's better for people that's mo- that has more regional sourcing but that at its scale can c- help by its scale create things that are more affordable and that's something that you know i just i find is a very interesting challenge in terms of of just bringing people together and think in their thinking around food manufacturing. So I think there is a future where the tide turns with big food manufacturing. We also need more regional food production that's viable from a business perspective. And I, you know, I, I had sent to you some, I mean, I'm just fascinated with the history of small, smaller food production because when I launched Matriarch, we, we launched out of um out of Portland, Maine. And the reason we launched out of Portland, Maine, is because we were aggregating farm surplus and remnants in the low, you know, sort of pretty local to New York City. We were getting ready to do our first production with a co-manufacturer in the Hudson Valley. We had sent everything we were ready to go and two days before we were supposed to do our um our test run we got a call saying we've got way too much business of firms that need to do their production now we can't you know we can't do a test run today get you know get back in touch with us in february And I was like, February, like we're ready to go now. We've just bought all this. And there was just, there was nowhere else to go. So I was like literally calling everyone I knew, like, is there a co-manufacturer we can talk to? And I happened to get put in touch with a woman who um, was working in the Portland, Maine food shed and had uh, been one of the people to get a USDA grant, three-year grant. To work with farmers in the Portland, Maine food shed to figure out ways to aggregate by gleaning their surplus and produce more local food for the uh, for the uh, Maine food economy. And I learned through that conversation that Maine Im- now imports not you know over ninety percent of its food. Long story. She invited me up to Portland. I got in my car. I drove up there. Met this group of people, and they were looking for a processing partner. So, you know, we we appeared and we became the processing partner on that project. And then we ended up getting a, a fellowship as part of that to um, what was then Pilot Works, which then went out of business the same month that we started working working there and then overnight this amazing guy uh, Bill Serretta, found money in you know from from some main government officials to keep the doors open because there were all these small businesses working out of this incubator kitchen and he has now, you know, really revived um, this place. that's now called the Fork Food Lab, and they gave us they gave us space in the lab for a year, and we were able to R and D products <clears throat> that we made from the surplus that we aggregated from these um, seven farms in the uh, in the Portland Maine food shed. During the course of all of that, I also met, met a historian <clears throat> of canning in Maine. And because I was starting to explore this whole issue of production and what do you do if you're a small startup, you know, but getting to that next level of needing to manufacture, but not at a gigantic scale. And there's just so little um, access to manufacturing at a, at, at a small and mid scale. And it was from him that I learned that until the 1960s in Maine, there were over 50 canneries. They were all on the, on the seaboard, obviously access to the ocean. They canned fish, they also canned corn. And at the time, Maine was the largest exporter of canned corn in the world. That's crazy. So so thriving local economies, and when those canneries were, you know, when they weren't canning corn and they weren't canning fish, they canned local ingredients. So they were like smaller, you know, smaller runs, not like home batch runs, but like smaller runs right. of of canned um, vegetables yeah. and fruits that were then able to be sold uh, in the state of Maine to the state of Maine. So, you know, and then of course, when big food came in and globalized everything, then, you know, that all went away. And I think the last cannery, I, I sent you a note, closed in 2010 or something like that, but that's really the thriving production that we need to bring back it's not even like reinvented it's like just to be brought back so that there are many layers um of of food production and and that's you know that's kind of one of the things that we've been you know working on in parallel to you know to building to building our business
0: Let's, let's rewind and maybe just give folks a little quick intro to matriarch foods and what you're doing and 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 your your reason for being because you have this intersection You know, we have a lot in common that you have this intersection between food access, you know, food security, uh, local, regional production, you know, manufacturing and then cool branding too. So, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit more about that And in full disclosure to the audience, I briefly consulted for for Anna and Matriarch Foods about two years ago. So don't have a current uh, conflict of interest, more ongoing convergence of interest is the way I would say.
1: Well, yeah, and you were you were a mentor to us um, when we were in the Food System Six Accelerator Program. Oh, yeah, that too. You know, so <laughs> we've, known, we've known each other for a while, um, and I, you know, I'm just like lo- love your love your brain on food. It's always, uh, you know, the details are always there, and I think that that more people need to understand. Some of you know the the factors that that are at play that are that are nuanced, but that that can be shifted. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing is that you know, understanding the details, I mean, obviously, you know, knowledge is power, actually, you know, gives you gives you places where you can disrupt that a little bit. But um but yeah, so you you want me just to give a little background for the audience? Give a little
0: background so folks yeah. when they, they see your brand out there know know what it's about. And then I think maybe gives a little more context to your really insightful comments that we led off with.
1: Yeah, so so um, matriarch is an environmental impact food company, social and environmental impact food company. And we upcycle farm surplus and remnants from manufacturing into products for food service, retail, emergency food, and now we also have an ingredients line. Um, And we work with small and mid-scale farmers, primarily in New York state, although we were working on a pilot uh, in, in California, Uh, And then food manufacturers where, you know, 19 million tons of very usable, delicious food go to waste every year. And that's a place that I don't think most people sort of think about like food manufacturing as as a place where you can capture something. But it's everything from, you know, the remnants of carrots, celery and onions, which are, you know if you go into a grocery store and you buy celery sticks or you go into a deli and you get an onion ring on your sandwich a lot of that goes to waste and it's all it's all you know cut at usually one one or a local large facility so we've created a, a food safe compliance supply chain to capture those remnants. Also, there's a lot of manufacturing of other kinds of products like, you know, roasted tomatoes, for example. So we work with a a producer of a premium line of tomatoes who, because of specs of his machines, also has been been throwing out, you know, a million and a half pounds a year before he got, you know, got really detailed. He was throwing out three million pounds a year. So we've been able to partner with large manufacturers who have, you know, who are bringing in product that's been grown, harvested, transported, washed, and then they're throwing out maybe two thirds of that because it's remnants or it's not perfect for their particular manufacturing process. Um, And each one of our, our channels sort of focuses on a different byproduct. So, <clears throat> the product that you mentioned earlier that we just launched for specifically food banks and emergency food providers is all sourced from small and mid-scale uh, farms in New York State. We work with Headwater Food Hub uh, primarily and also have some direct relationships with small farmers and buy buy from them uh, for that product, so beans and um and other vegetables that go into that stew. Some of them are surplus, some of them are not. Uh, we also use uh, um, a liquid mirepoix that we make from the remnants, uh, which is sort of the base of that stew as well. Um, and then, you know, I guess, how how did I get into this? Um, and it is important in terms of the value proposition of the business uh, is that before I launched Matriarch, I built a healthy eating program for youth and families living in public housing in New York City. And for those in the audience who don't know, public housing in New York City is technically the 10th largest city in the United States by number of people living there. Um, And, you know, many people suffering from diet related illness, uh, very little access to, to healthy food, you know, in New York City, I mean, a tech technically a food desert is un- is over one mile uh, to get to food, but in New York City, food deserts are a little bit less, you know, a le- little less than a, a mile, which also creates some issues around funding because it's not the federal uh, de- 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 definition of of a food desert. But that experience of building that program, I mean, first of all, everyone said, there's no way to do it. I love a challenge. I knew there was. Putting the right people together, finding the right funding, you know, really, um, you know, just, 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 just putting together all the pieces. Uh, we started bringing food from farms in upstate New York into those classes. And it was sort of through that process that... A, I saw this enormous amount of food waste, B, farmers need income and C, you know, people want access to healthy food and just, you know, don't have it. So that was kind of, that was really the impetus um, for the business. Um, ask me another question. Cause I'm, I could go on either, any of these, any of these trains to get deeper.
0: Well, um, obviously want to, Help you plug your your new products because it's it's very much geared towards, um, you know, say I don't say it's a channel of trade, but you're trying to directly create products, um, you know, to resolve food insecurity. Um, but you're also and, and you send me samples like, um, you know, hearty, nutrient dense, filling for plant based food. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not vegan, I'm not vegetarian. I'm saying, but it's a meal you know and um, i can't say that about most you know I'll, I'll buy like a can of amy soup and it's like feels like it's half air you know or the yeah, no. other stuff so tell us a little bit about that because you know ultimately too if you have a consumer product you know what are you, what are you trying to sell to people but also how is it relevant to you know the food access stuff that you've been talking about
1: yeah, so I just I'll just vote, fo- you know, focus on that for now in the conversation, and then if we if we get to it, I can talk about our retail channels and our food service channel. But, but the the work I did before, that really was the inspiration for launching the company, was just sort of, you know, it, it's just so hard to eat a healthy meal on a budget. If you don't know how to cook. Mm-hmm. And that was really the premise of that program we designed was how do you how do you cook a healthy meal on a budget um, for yourself or for your family? And so growing out of that, you know, uh, you know, all the obvious things, people also don't have a lot of time. So what could be made that people could eat, you know. Just pour, pour out of a carton and, and eat and be healthy. So we worked really hard to make sure that that product, which is called Vegetable Harvest Stew, um, had the calories of a healthy meal and that it would be vegetarian so that it would have you know be much more accessible to a broader range of people. Not everyone eats meat. Um, yeah. So we we worked with Danone. Our communities gave us R&D support to um, make sure that it had all those attributes. So it's 530 calories, it's uh, low sodium, it uh, uses NA- New York State grown navy beans. Uh, so there are 18 grams of protein in it and 12 grams of fiber, all you know, all from vegetables. Um, and one carton is, is a meal, or it can be mixed with, you know, mixed with a, pro- a protein if you want.
0: Well, I'll say, cause I work out a lot, um, sometimes twice a day. And, um, I, I do need protein if I've lifted weights, you know, for an hour and a half during the day. Um, and I was, it was one of those days where like I ate and I was like, oh, you know what? This is good. This this is good for me. I'll actually felt because like sometimes like I'll try to be vegan or vegetarian on a workout day. Like I said, I'll have like, you know, a can of a Amy soup or Pacific, you know, split pea, and it just doesn't, you know, I end up needing to have like some sardines or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, this one, this is really, it is, it is packed with packed with all the nutrients and it's free from all the, you know, all nine allergens. No, no, no
0: weird GMO shit. It's just like, you know, some good soup
1: yeah, it's super it's super clean. I mean, it's kind of what you know, what anyone would make at home, um, and it's made in almost every culture, you know, is a bean stew with vegetables in it or whatever's, you know, whatever's left over. So it's really styled after. I mean, I guess every food company is like, it's just like, Homemade soup. Oh, no
0: yeah. yeah anything with disodium made... guanolate is not made <laughs> like homemade, okay? <laughs> yeah
1: This one actually is a clean label and yeah. um, and very hearty. So and it's and we really see it as like the first in a line of products. We um we actually just got a- advanced in the <clears throat> Ellen MacArthur Foundation uh, has a big food challenge and we um, have advanced to the finalist. Uh, point of the challenge, I guess. Um, And so we're designing another product uh, for that line, which will be a a different kind of bean and other kinds of vegetables. Um, And it's done, you know, it's done right out of the gate pretty well. We've we've sold it into food banks in New York State who are eligible for Nourish New York, which means, you know, it has to have 51% of, of the ingredients have to come from New York State. So we've been able to meet that. And we just um, got approved for the Feeding America uh, marketplace. So it'll be available nationally as well. And the purpose too is to disrupt or start to disrupt the types of food that are offered in food banks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you know i mean this is you know we can go really down a a long road on this one but i mean you you know very well so much of the food that's in food banks is donated or it's commodity uh cheese or yeah it's just the leftovers it's just you know it's a lot of the
0: backwash of the industrial (laughs) food system cheapest you know it's not produced for human good
1: yeah, and it's and it's subsidized by the government. So, yeah.
0: which isn't a bad thing. It's just you know, <laughs> what subsid- are they subsidizing?
1: <laughs> the subsidy, yeah, and I'm just like, we why not create a brand and a line of products that could also be in that um, system but are better for people from a health perspective and also support regional American farmers. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, you know, our goal with that is to create that circular system that works for everyone. um, And doing it, you know, with some of the um, manufacturing and and good systems that are in place for for making that food. So we're not making it in our home kitchen, we're making it in a full scale co-manufacturer. Right. so, you know, and we've just been very fortunate to develop strong relationships with amazing people who see this, you know, see, see the writing on the wall, a little bit of the future, want to participate also in, in creating better quality food and have the capability to do that and, and sort of, you know, see us as good partners in, in doing something different, so.
0: Awesome. Yeah, well, that was good detail on, on on that. I hope, you know, brings folks up to speed on, you know, your analysis as well as your praxis of what you're actually uh, doing. So, you know, what next for you? What next for Matriarch? And maybe even talk about the channels of trade because, you know, you sort of dabble both in retail and food service. And,
1: um, yeah, so when we launched the company, you know, we really um, wanted to make – As much impact as we could as fast as possible, Mm -hmm. you know, we have seven years to 2030, which is not very long before we're supposed to have cut food waste in half from an environmental perspective. Uh, according to the UN and we are definitely not moving fast enough there and food service you sell in pallets, not in individual units. And there aren't all the marketing costs. It's complicated. It is not easy. It takes a really long time. It's still highly relationship driven and it's very dominated by big food companies. Um, But we, you know, we, we had just a series of events of, of presenting <clears throat> our products to a uh, compass group at their stop food waste event. We met up, met a couple of amazing people um, particularly at restaurant associates who championed what we were doing. We're really excited about it. Um, started, you know, got us uh, uh help to get set up with distribution, which, you know, distribution is a whole podcast or 10, you know, it's like really chicken and the egg. It's like, if you don't have distribution, you can't sell into food service, but you can't even get started with food service. If you don't have a champion, but the champion can't do anything with you unless you have distribution. So much different
0: in retail. Yes,
1: Yeah, not, no, not that different, except in retail, you can start small, Mm -hmm. in a way that you can't start small in food service ah good to know and i I think that's that is different like if we had originally gone the, the retail route you know we launched out of fork food lab we sold out our first three products, you know, in the first couple of months that we made there, then we might have moved to, you know, a local grocery store and, you know, sort of scaled slowly and gotten discovered and then eventually, you know, gone to to Expo East. But we just really felt like that was going to be such a a slow road. Um, And and we were right in that. I think um, food service is, you know, it's still the engine of our business. Uh, And so now we're, you know, we're contracted with Foodbuy, we're contracted with Vizient. We work with a couple of Sodexo companies and Aramark as well. Um, And so we're really, you know, we have our foot in the door to national accounts. And that's been growing since COVID ended, you know, just a year and a half ago. Um, and we're pretty stoked about it. Um, we have some amazing partners in, col- with, in college and university business, uh, business and industry, uh, as well as healthcare and the convergence of being um, a, a data-backed food company. Uh, so we can prove that you know we're upcycled certified. We have full LCAs on all of our products. We pay carbon credits. Uh, You know, we work with the Upcycled Food Association and Planet Forward. And I always have to shout out both of them because they're both doing such incredible work, verifying impact. Um, And then we're also a certified women-owned business. And that helps, you know, anything in food service that can differentiate you from the big guys, you know, helps you with a relationship, helps you get in the door, helps get things started. And then it grows. But... Increasingly, which is also fantastic, the fact that our label is so clean, and it's real vegetables, and it doesn't have words you can't pronounce, is is a real differentiator also. So, you know, we we're were we working with um, Harvest Table right now, which is a, and also uh, Harvest Table, which is part of Aramark and, and uh, Good Eating Company, which is part of Sidexo. And they've uh, operationalized the use of our concentrate, our vegetable concentrate uh, in their recipes as a replacement for uh, the pastes that they have been using. And that's really exciting. I mean, from a health perspective, really exciting. Um, So, you know, so that's food service. And then we did launch a line of uh, upcycled pasta sauces uh, that exactly a year ago, um and we got into Whole Foods right at the you know, like first hour of Expo East, which Congrats.
0: was that's huge.
1: So amazing. That's amazing. And they've been incredible, um, incredible to us and really oh, great. Good to hear. Good to hear. And um, and so now we're in all Northeast. We started out in one uh in the new Wall Street store um last year, January, and then they put us in fifty in the fifty five northeast stores and and, you know, sales growing, 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 um, even though we're in a super competitive um, category of pasta sauces. um, but again, you know, it's partly the message, climate friendly food, people are getting more interested in that and starting, you know, being willing to pay a little bit of a premium there. But also, something that I think maybe doesn't get talked enough about. And, and I even sometimes forget because I'm so focused on the impact is like, it's delicious. And the reason it's delicious is that we're capturing the tomatoes like at their freshest moment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they never see a can and most jarred sauces that are on the shelf are using canned tomatoes. Unless you know, unless they're you know a small local brand, um, so people always say like it just tastes so fresh, and that's why it's not that. I mean, what I guess what we're doing special is we're just you know we're processing it within you know forty eight hours of it being of the tomatoes being picked, and they're you know and they're going straight into in, into the carton instead of into a can first. So, um, yeah.
0: One more question for you, because I want to be respectful of your time. Me and you uh, both have a lot of interest in the sort of socioeconomic justice in the food industry. In fact, you, I think, shared with me your your horror, um, which I'd been suppressing, about um, the prison to food industry pipeline. That was revealed by the Associated Press in a really deep two-year investigation. Just came out a couple of weeks ago, and we, you know, we've also, you know, shared articles and thoughts about, you know, child labor and migrant trafficking, you know, all the unsavory stuff that really, without without which the food industry wouldn't function. Um, you know, really, still literally based on the plantation model. And I, honestly, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, and any thoughts on what you think members of our, our audience should be doing about that?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, when I, I mean, I knew, I knew about that, you know, and obviously during COVID a lot was revealed about labor in, in large factories, but it's, you know, an article here, an article there, people forget, you know, it's, it's very much what the photographer Louis Hine exposed at the turn of the you know 20th century with child labor in mills and what you know what i think i mean there are a couple of things one when you really understand why food is cheap it's not the only reason it's cheap but labor is a huge input in food and if you're able to make food with labor you are not paying for, then no one can compete with you because the cost, the cost of making that food is, you know, and you're, if you're paying a real wage and a large food company is not, then they can automatically make money off of something no one else can do and shouldn't be doing, but it really creates um, an and uh, uh, uh <laughs> a a dichotomy of like this so so-called elite food that's more expensive and cheap food that's cheap because you know the most important part of it, the human part of it, isn't being uh, paid for. So you know, I think what can people do about that? First of all, know. I mean, everyone's busy, yeah, yeah, okay, I get that, but you should not be so busy that you don't know what you're putting into your mouth and where that's coming from and how it's being made. And I think it really is the responsibility of of every person who purchases food to understand that and make better choices that reject food that is made that way. Now, I'm completely aware and having worked in public housing for 10 years that the choice to buy more expensive food is based on your ability to afford it. And so I'm not you know, trying to like create another burden on people who can't afford food, but for the people who can, It's just, you know, you just have to take responsibility for um, activating against those practices. And there, you know, there are all kinds of ways to do that. From a government perspective, there's you you had sent me a couple of links um, uh, of places that can that can, you know, where you can sort of. protest together I guess but but it is just not it is just true that you you vote with your fork and you vote with your dollars on whether or not something can continue and and um so yeah I mean I could rant about that one for a long time
0: appreciate it it's all about the ranting about those sort of things for this this podcast so
1: Yeah. And, and the doing, I mean, I, you know, I rant, but I also think we can do something about it. I mean, I, I think if, if I didn't, I probably would shut up. Um, But I know that it's possible to make food. That's good. That isn't really expensive. You know, that's not a premium product and that's, that's what we are working toward with our business And we, you know, when we designed the product for food banks, we looked at the amount that Feeding America pays per ounce for a meal. And we designed the product to meet that price point, which is, you know, not an easy feat, but we did, you know, it's 19 to 20 cents an ounce. And you know, we're able to do that partly because we're sourcing things from closer, partly because we're buying surplus and also using upcycled ingredients that are less expensive. Um, But I think, you know, and, and using legumes, (laughs) which are very healthy, but also not, you know, not, not super expensive. So it really is possible to design great food that isn't, you know, isn't a premium price point um, that is healthy, better for the environment and better for people and to match up, you know, government funding like the Nourish New York product, I mean, Nourish New York program uh, that, we, that we match the product to as well. So food banks can be reimbursed by the state for purchasing that product. Um, so it's a, it's a gigantic puzzle, but if you, I mean, I always say it's a little bit like making new constellations, like all the stars are there. You just have to draw different lines between them um, to get us to the next place.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I just believe that government subsidies should be paying for good, healthy food. We shouldn't be paying commodity growers to grow ethanol. We shouldn't be paying Commodity growers to grow corn syrup for for soda or byproducts for for animal feed.
1: You know. Well, right, and that's what I mean by the the stars are there. The money is there. The, it needs to be reallocated. Uh,
0: the USDA just sent out this big press release that they had reallocated or allocated sixty million dollars to subsidize specialty crop production. Specialty crops is USDA speak for actual food, but it also includes. sixty million dollars for the USDA is not even a rounding error. It's 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 pretty insane how low a a priority it actually is. The U.S. Department of Agriculture. We don't have a Department of Food. Right. Anyway, sorry, didn't mean to get on my soapbox there. Yeah, no, no.
1: I mean, you know, we're we're the purpose. I hope of of this, and I know, you know, know from your other podcasts, is to you know, it's to shed light on some of the issues a so that people are more informed and b so they can really look at those facts and then do something about it you know you can i mean this is the thing about voting even as even as it seems that our you know our democracy is disintegrating before our very eyes i don't think it is and you know and and one example maybe this is you know like a good thing to 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 end with whatever, but the Nourish New York program happened as a result of COVID, and because you know farmers were having to turn over you know huge amounts of food in the state because contracts had been um, had been canceled because of the pandemic, and the governor Kathy Hochul, you know, wrote a piece of or you know passed a piece of legislation that during COVID this nourish new york program could start so the state would be paying you know paying farmers for their produce that would go then to food banks and after you know after covid she wrote that into law so now every year there is you know 20 to 40 million dollars set aside for that program now it should be 10 times that but it's it's law it means it's happening. So just in this first year of of the of the distributions, we've been able to tap into that a little bit um, with some of the food banks that that got those allocations. And it feels like a really, really promising start to me.
0: Well, you know what? We're gonna end this conversation on an up note, which I yeah. don't always do. So <laughs>
1: good to do that you get gets people more motivated
0: not only that but like we're both coming we're both in the food industry we're both neck deep in it right operations and merchandising and marketing so i you know i just want folks to make sure they understand that we're not you know just just blowing smoke here like we're yeah. you know we're folks that actually work on this stuff and are trying to operationalize particularly what, you, what you've been doing with your with your brand and and your the supply chain and co-manufacturing that you're doing plus your your you know, I think unique perspective on it. So, you know, any, any closing thoughts uh, as we want to wrap this up?
1: Yeah. I think the closing thought is that, that um, what is it that people say? Hope hope is a verb with its sleeves rolled up. Um, And I don't know who said that, but I just, I I love that one. Um, Because it's a lot of really hard work,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but you know, we it's taken us 70 years to get here. And actually in this 70 years, while there's been a lot of degradation, of course, and we now know things that we didn't know 70 years ago about food production and, and all of that, you know, we do have infrastructure, we do have ways to to make things better. And some of it is capitalizing on the good part of that and turning it into a better future. And there's so many great companies out there that are doing that now. And, and, you know, and I feel like our attraction just in this, you know, in the last quarter of 23, which was which is being called, what is it called? Like a an extinction uh, level year for startups because so much money went into ridiculous investments in plant-based food. And there haven't been any returns. So
0: (laughs) told told you, told you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Don't have money to reinvest in the things that are actually working, but, but I just infrastructure. Yeah. I feel so much promise with, with what's happened with just this, you know, releasing this one product and the enthusiasm. And in fact, we got an email, maybe this is a nice thing to end on. We got an email last week from uh two family members separately emailing us about where where could they purchase the vegetable harvest stew because their um uncle had gotten it as part of his weekly delivery. He's a disabled veteran, mm-hmm. and he had gotten it in one with from one of the one of our partners that does a weekly delivery um and his wife is in hospice, and it's the only thing she wants to eat mm mm-hmm because it's not, you know, because from her, in in her words, it's, it's not full of salt and it makes her feel nourished. And that was like, you know, mic drop for me.
0: Yeah, you can't beat that. (laughs) So right on Anna. Well, Anna Hammond, founder, CEO, extraordinary personality in the food industry, Uh, matriarch foods, just want to appreciate you for being you and for all that you're doing. And Thanks so much for making time to talk with
1: us today on The Checkout. Oh, thank you, Errol. Back back at you, all those things.
0: Hey, this is Errol Schweitzer, host of The Checkout podcast. The Checkout is proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, with more than 200 labor radio shows and podcasts from across the country and around the world. The Labor Radio Podcast Network, where working people speak. Find us at laborradionetwork.org.